And so, uh, I would like to give you some information regarding summertime. Drinks in the UAE to cool down during summertime. Okay, I'll give you some names. I'm sure some of you are familiar with kah- kahwa. Okay, it's the Arabic coffee. It's a drink that is usually being uh, a drink, a drunk during nighttime. Uh, sometimes instead of kahwa, uh, you can drink Sulaimani. Uh, that can actually refresh you during summertime. Uh, but during the daytime, uh, the famous one for the Arabic, Arabic people are Jalab. Jalab is a fruit syrup uh, made from uh, grape molasses and dates and rose water. And usually it is served with garnished ice and uh, raisins and pine nuts on the sides. And it will refresh you during summertime. It will give you energy. Even for during Ramadan, this is the drinks that uh, they drink so that it can keep them uh, hydrated all throughout the day. This is the drinks that they drink during the uh, iftar. And I forgot the other one in the early morning. In Abu Dhabi, uh, the, 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 temper- the temperature is really high, especially in Al Ain. And locals there drinks what they call laban milk. Okay? Laban milk is a salty yogurt-based drink best drunk cold it will keep your body cool boost your immune system and is loaded with with calcium proteins and vitamins and so these drinks that i just mentioned to you are the drinks that are being drunk here during the summertime it will keep people uh, from getting thirsty it will quench their thirst it will energize them for the whole day Today in our text, Psalms 42 and Psalms 43, we will hear a song from the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah are the ones who wrote this song. This song describes a kind of thirst that is compared to what can be experienced here in the UAE during the heat time in the desert. But this thirst in Psalms 42 and 43 cannot be quenched with uh, love and milk. It cannot be quenched with my Dubai water or Alain bottled water. It cannot be satisfied with love and milk, Sulaimani or even Jalab. It is a kind of thirst that nothing can satisfy except by being in the presence of God. And so as you listen to this sermon, I want you to realize that this thirst that the sons of Korah experience is the same thirst that every one of us experience in our daily life. It's the thirst of our soul. It's the longing of our spirit. And so, how can we quench this thirst? Psalm 42 to 43 directs us to God. He alone can quench our spiritual thirst. And this is the main point of our sermon today. Only God can quench your spiritual thirst. I have three sermon points for you today. Number one, quench your thirst in God 
through lament. Quench your thirst in God through lament. Number two, quench your thirst in God through petition. Quench your thirst in God through petition. And the last, quench your thirst in God with joy and praise. Quench your thirst in God with joy in God and praise. Let's read from Psalm 42, verse 1 to 8, and see how our spiritual thirst can be quenched in our lament. Psalms 42, verse 1 to 8. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why all day long people say to me, Where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart. How I walk with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God, with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I'm quenching my thirst. First of all, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, for your information, is just one song, and it is the beginning of the Book 2 of Psalms. Two Sundays ago, I preached on Psalm 78, and it is a maskil of Asaph. A maskil is a contemplative song. Like Psalm 78, our text today, Psalm 42 and 43, is another maskil, a contemplative song, contem contemplative song. But this time, it's not only Asaph who wrote this, but the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah? Well, Korah's descendant earned a bad reputation. When you read in the Bible, you can take note of this on Numbers. 26, oh sorry, number 16, you can read that Korah, together with Dathan and Abraham, took 250 prominent Israelites to despise and question God in the choosing of Moses as the leader of his people. And in the end, we can read in number 16 that the earth opened and swallows these people. And fire also broke out from the camp of the Lord, and it consumed more people who were together with Korah in their rebellion. And this is recorded in the Old Testament scriptures. This is being read every day as part of the life of Israelite people. And so Korah's descendant doesn't like the sound of their history 
But now, when we look on Numbers 26 and 1 Chronicles 6, we can read that the sons of Korah lived on to produce wonderful works to worship God. And now we reach on Psalm 42 and 43. The sons of Korah wrote this song for us. We can read like Psalms 88 and Psalms 89. The author of these are three persons by the name of Asaph, Ethan, and Heman. They are musical masters, but they are the sons of Korah. And some of the sons of Korah's the sons of Korah were also doorkeepers and soldiers of King David. And so what's the point? Why am I telling you all these things? The sons of Korah appears to know what it is like to be redeemed by God. The sons of Korah knows how it is to be near to God because they served in the temple of God. Though the family root or their background has a bad legacy, the Korahites were chosen by God for His glory. Though their circumstances are bad, they choose to hope in God and praise Him. These are the sons of Korah who wrote Psalms 42 and 43. And one thing that they cannot forget is that there's a consequence of going against God. Instead of going against God, the sons of Korah put their hope in God and trust in Him. So now let's look at Psalm 42. It's a truly deep contemplation of the sons of Korah about longing for God. Verse 1 says, As a deer flowing for streams, for, uh, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. Have you ever watched a National Geographic channel? So on one of, uh, maybe on, on one of the episodes, you can watch a deer going to a swamp filled with crocodiles. And he is risking, the deer risks its life just to go to that swamp to satisfy his thirst. That's how a deer longs for water. Some fun facts about deer, it can survive without water for a long time. It can even drink up to five gallons of water per day. It travels most of the time during the heat of the day. But one thing that is true about a deer is that it will move on if the water source dries up. And that's why it's risking its life even though the swamp is full of crocodiles. The deer goes where the water is. And so when we continue on reading Psalms 42, when we go in verse 2, in the same way, the psalmist thirsts for God and he longs to be with the living God. But there's a problem. The psalmist asks, when can I come and appear before God? In other words, when will I be able to come before God? When will I be allowed to come before God? When can I enter His presence? When can I go to the one who can feel my thirst? 
the psalmist did not ask like the way the people are surrounding him are asking him where is your god instead he asked his question when can he come so these two questions are really different it seems that he is barred from going near the presence of the lord and that is his problem the problem is he knows the solution to his problem but he cannot go to the solution to his problem he knows where the source of what can quench his thirst but he cannot go to the source of what can quench his thirst he longs for god like a deer thirsting for water in verse 3 we find that he quenches his thirst by drinking his own thirst in other words he laments he cried out we can find that he is lamenting because in verse 4 he said he's pouring out his heart and in verse 8 it says that he is praying to God of his life. But his longing for God seemed to be questioned by those people who don't know God. Those people who don't know God ask him, where is your God? They're not asking, when can we come to God? They're asking, where? Where? Where is your God? Unlike the psalmist, these people doesn't know. These people have nothing to remember about God. But the psalmist is different from them. The psalmist has something to remember about God. Look at verse 4. He remembered how he walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God. With joyful and thankful shouts. He remembers what it is to be near God. He remembers how God is near not only to him, but to many persons like him who had an experience or an encounter with God. With God near him, he has nothing to desire but to give praise and thanksgiving because of the abundant joy that he is experiencing, the joy in the Lord. He knew, he remembers, and that is why he laments. He remembers all these precious things, precious times together with the Lord. And that is why in verse 5 we can read, He asked no other but himself. He said, why my soul are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? But he did not finish in his question. He continued. He directed himself. He said, put your hope in God, my soul. He directed himself with an assurance based on what is going to happen in the future. Because he said, for I will still praise him. Why is the psalmist confident that he can still praise God? Because he's Hope is not based on his current circumstances. He directs himself with an assurance that is based on the character and nature of God. The psalmist knows who God is. He called God 
as his savior. He called God as his God. There is a personal relationship between this psalmist and God. And so what we can learn from the psalmist? Brothers and sisters, you and I, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, have tasted and seen and experienced. We knew, we remember, we know that the Lord is good. But sometimes we have moments in our lives when we feel like God is so far away. Sometimes it seems that our lives are surrounded with dark clouds. And it's so gloomy that we just wanted to cry. Why are these things happening to me? Why is there pain? And why is the struggle seems to last longer than I'm expecting? And it is slowly drying up the source of my strength. And we are tempted to ask the question, where are you, God? Particularly, some of us might be thinking, what lies ahead of me? Because I just lost a job. I have financial difficulty. I have a family problem. I have a battle which I always fail to succeed in my fight of holiness. I am lonely of being alone in life. I have this fear of what might happen because of my certain illness. These are the difficult things that can happen to Christians. And I can sympathize with you. But I encourage you to be like the psalmist. Look at his example. He remember who God is. He is your Savior in Christ. He is your God. If you feel that the dark cloud won't, dark clouds won't leave, remember God when He brought you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Remember that God's kingdom is ruled and reigned by God who is light. He knows and He sees. If you are struggling with sin and have failed many times and is sorrowful about it, remember the relationship that you have with God through Christ Jesus. Remember Romans chapter 8 that Sister Amina has read to us today. He has given us the right to call him Abba Father because he did not spare his only son. He gave him up for us all. How will he not grant us what we need so that we can obey him in our pursuit of holiness? When you are struggling with fear because of an unknown tomorrow, remember that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, who is, who was, and is to come. He has the book of life, even before the foundation of the earth, whose name of his people were written on it. And if you are a Christian, you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That is your hope, and that is the sure assurance that you can anchor your life with. Now, I understand that some of, I, some of us might say, you can say that because you are not in my shoes. 
you can say this you can say these things because you are not specifically in my situation and i think you are right i think i will not be exactly able to understand what you are grow, going through right now the kind of pain or longing or suffering that you alone understand i will not be fully able to understand that and you have all the reason to identify with these people who are asking where is your god but know that the ultimate author the main author of god's word tells us today in psalm 42 and 43 that he exactly understands you and through his psalm that he wrote he is telling you to remember him he is your savior he is your god he is your redeemer and because of this personal relationship with him you can actually complete completely with all honesty lament like the psalmist and put your hope in god this is what the psalmist says to us in verse 6. He remembered that God is his Savior. And that God is his God. But the psalmist with all honesty expressed that he was deeply depressed. He did not hide what he is going through. So friends, brothers and sisters, if you are sorrowful and troubled today, remember that God do, does not undermine the reality of your sorrow. He wants you to cry out to him, just like how the psalmist cry out to him, lamented to him. Sometimes you do not understand why you have this kind of situation or why you have this kind of circumstances. Some, sometimes it's confusing. Look at what uh, the psalmist recall in verse 6 to 7. Instead of being delivered from his troubles, he remembered what it felt like to get a different answer from God. Instead of being satisfied from thirst by flowing streams of waters, he was swept away with the breakers and billows of God. It was like a flood waters flowing in the Jordan River when the ice caps of Mount Hermon and Mount Mizar melt. Instead of drinking to be satisfied, he felt like being drowned. Verse 7 says, Deep goes to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and billows have swept over me. But then look in verse 8. Despite his difficult circumstance, the psalmist entrusted himself to God because God is sovereign over all things. He knows that his tears, which has been his food day and night, will be replaced with God's faithful love by day. And he will have a song of praise in the night. And then the psalmist teaches us that this is the prayer to the God of his life. The psalmist quenches his thirst by lamenting in God. Brothers and sisters, to lament is Christian. To lament is to express our belief in God's mercy his redemption and sovereignty. When we lament, we express our hope in God that He is our deliverance. In lament, we can put our hope in the all-powerful God. 
In lament, we can express our hope in God. In lament, we give assurance to ourselves that God holds our future. In lament, we know that God will hold us fast. That is why Christians lament. But friends, know that Christians can lament only because God has become their Savior and their God. It means that at one particular moment in their lives, they came to know the salvation of God through, through Jesus Christ. Christians can lament only because God has saved them through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, paying for the penalty of their sins. And in the story of God's redemption recorded in the Bible, the reason why the Israelites people, like this psalmist, can call to God is because God delivered them. God delivered the Israelites people from the land of Egypt into the promised land. God gave them King David to become a nation. And the surrounding nation, surrounding these Israelites people, they did not know God, the God who saves. That's why they ask, where is your God? And so when you are tempted to follow the pattern, the pattern of this world, copying their question, please recall that God is your Savior. God is your God. God is near to His people because He is their God and He is their Savior. Brothers and sisters, while we lament, we remember God for who He is. He is Savior. He is our God. Remember your personal encounter with Jesus when you heard the gospel of God's salvation. And by the power of your spirit, your eyes were opened and you discovered that you were a sinner in need of God's grace. And only through the finished work of Jesus Christ can you come to the Lord's presence through the cross of Christ Jesus in which you are saved. That's why the psalmist remembered a people gathered in a festive procession leading to the feast in the house of Zion. He remembered all these people who put their, their hope and trust in God. Christians today can come and gather together like this. We can come and feast in the table of the Lord, looking forward to that great gathering with the Lamb who is seated on the throne. He was slain for His people. Christians, remember this. That God raised you from death to life. And it was symbolized by your baptism. Only people who have God as their Savior can remember and can lament to God. They can put their hope in God and still praise Him. Christians, brothers and sisters, when you feel like dejected or in turmoil, when you are sad, restless, depressed, anxious, fearful, nervous, worried, concerned, you are in chaos, in turmoil, in trouble, you are sorrowful, what should you do? Quench your thirst by lamenting to God. For God is your Savior in Christ Jesus, and God is your God. Now the psalmist exactly know what it is to be sorrowful, but he did not remain to be sorrowful. 
Instead, he lamented to God, and he also petitioned himself to God. And that's what we are going to read in chapter 42, verse 9, until 43, verse 2. Read with me Psalms 42, verse 9 to 43, verse 2. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me, as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person, for you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Quench your tears in God by petition is our second point. If you have lived in the past as an Israelite, perhaps you would be familiar with how they are constructing their Hebrew poetry. Sometimes, the contents or the details of their song or their poem is wrapped up between two headings. It's like looking in a Microsoft Word document. There is a header and there is a footer. Whatever is placed there reminds you that whenever you flip the page, you are reminded with that specific theme or that specific topic or title. And this is what the sons of Korah did with Psalms 42, verse 9 to Psalms 43, verse 2. He wrapped these contents with a theme that God is the rock of refuge. I remember when I preached Genesis 18. This is the example of how you petition yourself to God. This is how the psalmist petitioned himself to God. In Genesis 18, we can learn that when God is about to destroy Sodom with fire, Abraham stepped forward and said to God, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place in the 50 righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? In the same way, the psalmist also, also petitioned himself to God like the way Abraham did. He based it on the nature of God. Abraham petitioned based on the nature of God that God is the judge of the whole earth. The psalmist petitioned himself to God based on the nature of God that God is the rock of his refuge. Look in verse uh, chapter 42, verse 9. I will say to God, my rock. And then look in chapter 43, verse 2. 
for you are the God of my refuge. These are two headings combined together, saying that God is the rock of our refuge. And then he asks a question, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow? Because of the enemy's oppression. With all honesty, the psalmist cries out and petitions himself to God. Now, if you will read again this passage, based or anchoring the content of this under the character of God being the rock of his refuge, it will look like this. God, the rock of my refuge, why have you forgotten me? God, you are my rock. Why must I go in sorrow because of my enemy's oppression? God, you are my, you are my refuge. While I am in sorrow, my enemies taunt me with their words, which gives me pain more than the sword that is crushing through my bone, saying, Where is your God? Oh God, my rock, I now question myself why I am so dejected. God of my refuge, I now ask myself, why should I be in turmoil? In turmoil, For you are my God, the rock of my refuge. Therefore, I will put my hope in you. I will still praise you. God, you are my Savior. God, you are my God. Vindicate me, judge me, O God, my refuge, and be my defense against these people who are unfaithful to you. God, my rock, rescue me from deceitful and unjust person. God, you are the rock of my refuge. Will you continue on rejecting me? Will my God let me continue in sorrow? You could not possibly do that. Won't the God, the rock of my refuge, protect me, save me, and help me in my turmoil? Do you see how the psalmist petitioned himself to God? The psalmist anchored his prayer based on the character of God and assured himself that God is the rock of his refuge. And so, brothers and sisters, when you pray to God, how do you pray to God? Do you view him as he was viewed in Exodus? As the God who did not allow Moses to be consumed with his holiness and placed Moses behind the rock, the rock of his refuge? Look at the example of Hannah's prayer when Brother Eric read to us 1 Samuel II. Hannah said, There is no rock like our God. Look at the example of David when he rejoiced in Psalms, in, in, in 2 Samuel 22. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge. He said this when King Saul was trying to kill him. These people, like the psalmist, are having troubles in their lives. These people are like us. They are in turmoil, but they prayed to God with all honesty and anchored their prayers based on the character and nature of God. And so Christians, when you pray 
anchor your prayer to the God of the gospel, to the God of the good news of Jesus Christ. Our prayer should be anchored to Jesus, God's provision to be the rock of our salvation. Christians, remember that God has placed us behind the rock, Jesus Christ, so that God's wrath toward our sin has fallen on him. Jesus is the rock that has saved us from God's wrath. Brothers and sisters, when you pray, pray to the rock of your salvation. Do you humbly bow down before the rock of your salvation? Do you humble yourselves to the King of kings? Do you pray to the Lord of lords? Do you pray to God as your Savior, to God as your God? Do you pray like Abraham? Humbly asking the judge of the earth to do justice. As Christians, pray the gospel. As local church, we pray the word. Because it is in God's word that reveals who God is. It reveals the nature and the character of God. That's why in prayer of adoration, we pray the word. In our confession, we pray the word. In our petition, we pray the word. And as a local church gathered together, we sing the word. We sing psalms of lament that lead us to our Abba, Father. We sing joyful songs to the God who has rescued us from sin and death. And Christians, we can pray to God with all honesty. Pray your questions to the Lord. Recognize your pain and suffering in your prayers and present them to God. Honest, humble, pain-filled questions are part of presenting yourself to the one who can help you in times of your need. But more importantly, when you do this, pray with a heart that is willing to turn to God. Pray with a heart that is willing to submit to God and obey Him according to who He is. Brothers and sisters, this text teaches us how to pray to God by praying the gospel. Pray with honesty, pray the word, but pray with a willing heart to turn to God who can help us in times of our need. The psalmist's spiritual need was quenched by lamenting to the Lord. The psalmist's spiritual need was quenched when he petitioned himself to God, the rock of his refuge. But lastly, on the last passage, we can read that his spiritual thirst can only be fully quenched when he set his delight and joy in God. So read with me Psalms 43, verses 3 to 5. Send your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. I will praise you with the lyre, God of my God. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Our last point, quench your thirst in God by finding your joy in Him 
and by praising Him. Look at the transition of the mindset or the condition of the psalmist from lamenting to petition to praise. It all happens because everything in his prayer is anchored to who God is. The psalmist's outlook has changed from being depressed at his circumstance into being hopeful and assured of who God is and what God can do. In these last passages, the psalmist gives us a clearer picture of how he now looked at his problem and how he knew the very answer to his problem. So I would like to help us with some keywords that we can find in these three remaining verses. Number one, light and truth. Two, holy mountain and dwelling place. Light and truth, holy, mount, holy mountain, the dwelling place of God. Remember in the beginning of our passage that the psalmist presented to us his problem in verse 2 by saying, when can I come before God? When can I come and appear before God? This is his problem. He knows where is his thirst to be quenched. And then remember in verse 3 that the people around him taunt him because they don't know God. They said, where is your God? Here in our last passage, the psalmist found the answer to his questions. That only the light and truth of God can lead him and bring him to where God is. To God's holy mountain. The light and truth of God. And then in verse 4, some keywords that we can look into is, I will come and God is my greatest joy. Remember, when the psalmist expressed his sorrow, his feelings of dejection, his turmoil, his pain like the crushing of his bones, here we see the opposite, the replacement of what has been going on with him from the beginning of his prayer and at the end of his prayer. Suffering was replaced with joy and praise. What can we understand from this? When we look in God's word and we ask, what is the light and truth of God? God's word tells us that the light and truth of God is the one that guides his people and that is no other than the word of God. We see in Psalms 119 verse 105, it says that God's word is a lamp to his feet to guide him and a light to his path to walk. And then going further to 160, verse 160 of Psalms 119, we see that the entirety of God's word is truth to guide them in righteousness. The light and truth of God is the word of God. This is the one that will guide you so that your spiritual thirst can be quenched by going to the answer to your need. Who is God alone? God is our greatest joy. God is our greatest joy. This is what Christians found in, Rome, in, in, in the church in Rome. Romans 11.36 says, From Him, 
through Him, and to Him are all things for His glory. What does this mean? It means that everything that they need, everything that they are looking for, everything that they can enjoy comes from God, comes through God, and come and goes to Him, to His glory. It is from Jesus, through Jesus, and to Jesus. And so if that is true, we do not have other greatest joy to search for other than God, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to borrow from Jonathan Edwards. He said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. If you are reasonable, find your highest good, find your highest delight, find your joy in God. What does this mean for us today? For the non-Christians, for those who remain in unbelief, it means they remain in problem. It means that they will continue to ask and continue to taunt the believers, where is your God? And so with this word that is preached to us today, if you are not believing in Jesus Christ, I plead to you, please repent from your sinful unbelief. Let me tell you, with the light and truth of God's word, that the answer to your question, to your desperate need, can be found in God alone. God's word reveals that Jesus is the light who come into the world. People love darkness rather than light because their, their deeds were evil. And so I am asking you, come to the light. Come to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one can go to God except through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to our world today? It means that all the things that we think would make us happy now falls under the scrutiny of the light and truth of God, which is God's word. Even Psalm 43 questions our endeavor of pursuit of happiness in this earth. Psalm 43 says, God is your greatest joy. Do not look anywhere but in God alone. What does this passage says about Christ? This passage points us to Jesus Christ, for he is the light and truth. He is the one who can lead us and bring us to the holy mountain of God in God's dwelling place. He is also whom we need so that we can go to the altar of God because he is our great sacrifice who offered his life to redeem us from our sin. And what does it mean for us today who gather today in this congregation? This passage tells us to put your hope in God. Be a congregation, be, a, be the assembly that gathers together in a festive procession to the holy mountain of God, delighting in God alone, praising Him for who He is. As a deer longs for flowing streams, let us long for our God. For he alone can quench our thirst. Let us all pray.